Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, choir. What a wonderful day thus far. Amen. I am so looking forward to what's uh, in store for uh, First Baptist Church. We are in the midst, or really at the beginning, of our emphasis on who's your mission, asking you to pray about a burden for at least one lost soul who needs to be saved now. They need to be saved now. And write them down on the list. Fill out the blue card. Some of them are white, I see, but pull out blue and white. That's good colors. And uh, fill it out. And put them on the church's list so we can pray for them. If you need to put initials there, that's fine too. Let us know who you are, who you're burdened for, and, and we pray for them together and strive to win them to Jesus. Next week, we have uh, Steve Foster with the Georgia Baptist Convention uh, who has developed a, I don't want to call it training. It's really, it's, it's probably a little training, but it's encouraging, called No Sweat Evangelism about being a witness for Christ, a verbal witness for Christ, no sweat evangelism. You know, I want to tell you this. It's been my, this is my experience. Can I tell you this before I start preaching about winning somebody to Jesus? The sweat part is getting in the door, just, just getting to the point where you can talk about it because once you start talking about Jesus, the Christian gets excited and it's no sweat. Amen. The sweat is getting to that point. Amen? To me. Now, I don't know what Steve's going to say next week. I may tell him to say that just so I look good. But anyway, uh, um, that, that's part of it. But, but God blesses it, and uh, we're going to be encouraged next week. He's going to preach Sunday, and then Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to meet here in the sanctuary. It's going to be recorded. Several of you have said, uh, Pastor, I, I, it gets dark. I don't drive at night. Um, if somebody can't come pick me up, I won't be able to be there. Well, I hope we can get you here, but if not, we are going to live stream it, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful experience in the Lord. And uh, we've been dealing with that. Who's your mission? Who's your mission? I have personally been praying that God would give us a hundred names, and many of you have joined in that with me in that prayer. Well, I want to tell, tell you something. I'm about to give you a number. As of this morning, before any of you got here uh, this morning, well, a few people here, sound people were here, and Jay was here, but uh, early is what I'm trying to say. Um, we had 122. And then, now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Then the choir was coming in, and I saw... A fella, and I said, Charlie Emerson, how you doing this morning? And he said, how many we got? And I said, 122. Well, now we have 125. And I, I left the baptistry area down here and uh, trying to get my wet sleeve dry. And uh, there's one right there, a blue card right there. It's not that I look in the offering plate all the time, but the blue cards get my attention. 
and there's a bunch in the box, so we might have about 135 uh, by now. I mean, I, I tried to count them in the box. We might have 140. And I'm going to quote what Charlie Emerson, Charlie Emerson said, that means our people are burdened for the lost. And that's where it begins, folks. That's where it begins is with a burden for the lost to be saved, to love the lost like Jesus loved the lost. You know why Jesus came? Because God the Father has a burden for the lost. He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I have a burden for the lost, and I'm sending you for the burden. Now, next week, I know we're going to have more because I know several of you have told me you're praying it through and you got some names and you're going to wait till next week. That's perfectly fine. Do it. I, I still have a couple I'm going to turn in next week. But uh, I, I want to say, if you want to turn them in early, that's fine too. And even after, the, next week is not a deadline. It's not a deadline. This thing, if, if we have more coming on uh, in March and April and May and June, bring them on. Now, another thing you, you might know is we, we committed to pray for these people, pray for the lost and pray for our missions and our missionaries. And I'm going to pray for every one of them by name often. And I'm just going to have to dedicate my... Uh, Self and scratch off a place at the house or somewhere in some room in this church and just get that list and start praying for them and call out to God and spend some time in prayer. Going to have to say no to a whole bunch of stuff to do that. But another factor of that is, folks, that's why we, we pray together. That's why we pray together, gather together for prayer times throughout this year and praying for the lost. So um, I know one thing, God, God will bless it. God will honor it. He honors obedience, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and I, I want to share something else with you. I was going to kind of do this in the middle of the sermon, but um, y'all notice the display up here on the, the Lord's Supper table? You see that? There's a football helmet right there. Well, sometimes when I preach a red-hot sermon, y'all throw things at me. I need to wear a helmet. No, that's not it at all. But that is uh, from the St. Martin Yellow Jackets, and uh, there's a flower next to it. But on the other side is a copy of uh, uh, several copies of the Word of God that um, was given by our church family. A person said, I want to do something for, for them boys over there, and um, I want to buy them all a copy of the Word of God. And uh, we were able to take that gift and have the St. Martin logo emblazoned on it. It's a real nice Bible. And uh, Miss Tracy got busy with labels, and all the Bibles we gave out have been personalized on these labels on the inside. And last Thursday was the banquet for the, the football banquet, and, and we were invited. And uh, we went and were able to give out these Bibles to the football players, the coaches, their wives, the cheerleaders, and uh, other people came up and said, can I have one? Can I take one to my baby sister, my baby brother? And I think we gave out uh, way over 100 of them. And, and when the coach got up and gave out all the rewards, he said, and, and I want to tell you, he said, there's not many places and not many people talking about all of us who would do this. And he introduced the Bibles. And, and so as a gift to us to say thank you, he gave us a football helmet. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can take turns wearing it or something, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll find a place for it, and uh, hallelujah, amen. But isn't that good? Huh? So I'm, I'm happy about that. You know, when, when we were contacted about having the pregame meals and having chapel in here with those boys and preaching to them every week, and we have a crew, Ron Sharpie and... Cole, and I've invited a few guests to come in, preach. We, we've got a preacher friend who's a highway patrolman. He came in and preached, and I preached to him on those Friday game days, and we got a wonderful crew in the fellowship hall that feeds them. But when I was asked, can we come in here and you preach to them, I had to go pray, Lord, do we really need to do that ministry? I'm not so sure you called me to be a witness for Christ. I'm not so sure you called me to preach those... Did you think I did that? No, there's some things you don't have to pray about. When you've got an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ, you don't have to pray about it. You just haul off and get it done. Yeah. 
Amen? That's good preaching whether you like it or not, huh? That's good. Maybe I need to put that helmet on right now. But, uh, oh, amen. Well, now for the second sermon. Acts chapter 6, if you will. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. While you're turning there to Acts chapter 6, it's page 1534 in the Pew Bible, and page 1170 in my Bible. If you have a Bible, I don't know what page it's on, but uh, on January 1st, we preached a message about the Jerusalem church, and we talked about the shocking state of the church in America the evangelical church in America, in our country. And I'm not going to go back through all those numbers, but in the way of introduction, I want to tell you the shocking numbers for Southern Baptist churches, churches that participate in the mission effort, education effort, and entities of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I went over this again Wednesday night. And several of you have asked me about these and, and, and were shocked at what's happening. Uh, but I'll give you a, uh, a, a, um, the facts in the case, in the situation. Southern Baptist churches, five, over 5,000 churches a year are closing in the United States of all kinds. And uh, Southern Baptist churches around the country are closing at a faster rate than all other denomination churches. And uh, I, I, uh, that includes, of course, some independent churches. Um, but I will give you these numbers. 90% of all Southern Baptist churches in America are plateaued or, or, or in decline. They're plateaued or in decline. More than 1,000 Southern Baptist churches close their doors each year. Statistically speaking, today, on this Sunday, January 15th, statistically speaking, 19 Southern Baptist churches will have their last sermon, their last service. There'll be some wonderful people who've invested their lives in some of these churches, and they'll walk out the doors for the last time and uh, go to another church or something to that extent. And that's a sad thing. And after we gave those statistics, we talked about why, and then we talked about what's the answer, what do we need to do. And, of course, we went to look to the Word of God. We went to the Bible to see what those churches did. A lot of people, I was told a lot of people wouldn't believe uh, the numbers. They wouldn't believe that that, that many churches are closing. And one fact that uh, we, we highlighted was is the life cycle of a church. They get born, they grow, they plateau, they decline, and then they close. And that may take 10 years or it may take 100 years. It might take 200 years. It might take uh, several lifetimes. But all local churches, most churches, very few, uh, well, they're all in that cycle. And the, the proof is in the pudding. The proof's in the Word of God. Not one single church of the New Testament that Paul started in the book of Acts that Peter engaged in, not the Jerusalem church, not the seven churches of Revelation, not the churches all over where Paul went and preached and started these churches. Not a one of them are in existence today. All of them went through that life cycle. And church historians who are attuned to the Word of God will tell you that it's because they abandoned the first principles. They abandoned the first principles. And we looked at the first principles in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, but today we're in Acts chapter 6. And I want to highlight for you once again those first principles of the, of the early church, the first church, probably the greatest church that ever existed, the Jerusalem church. And they did seven things, and they did them constantly, and they did them consistently, and that's what they worried about. That's what they kept to. Paul, in his missionary journeys, he would start off with the church and he would always go back to it, telling, reminding the church to stay with the stuff. Every one of his letters, Peter's letters, Hebrews, all of them remind the local churches. Jude, all of it, goes back and says, get back to these seven things. And everything that Paul wrote in his epistles can be classified under one of these seven major points. Let me give them to you real quickly before we get on into the text. 
First of all, preaching and teaching of God's Word. Constantly preaching and teaching God's Word. Second, prayer. They were given to prayer. That's what they did. They prayed. Worship. They worshiped. I'm so thankful for our uh, note of celebration in our worship services. I'm thankful for it. We're going to talk more about worship uh, in, in months to come, but uh, I'm thankful for worship. And then they fellowshiped, whether that means the Lord's Supper or whether that means just getting around tables like we do on Wednesday night to eat or fellowship uh, togetherness. They were together, and they had all things common. And then number five, personal evangelism. They had uh, an ongoing who's your mission, always who's your mission. And everybody, all the missions that got saved, they got a mission. See, every time somebody gets saved, folks, you have about 20 more uh, uh, prospects because lost people know lost people. And so personal evangelism and discipleship, and that included baptism. When they got saved, they got baptized, and they grew in the Lord. And then ministry, they just ministered one to another and to the lost. They helped each other. Yesterday, we, we had Scotty Broom's memorial service, and we had a good crew in the fellowship hall ministering uh, to that family. And that's ministry. Nothing you do for God's people in the name of Jesus is a small thing. It's a ministry. And I'm thankful for all those people who minister. And so... Uh, I rehearsed these a little bit on Wednesday night, last Wednesday night. And this morning, we're going to see, we, we see in the text we're in, Acts 6 through 8, some of the distractions, some of the things that got people off track and can easily get us off track if we're not careful. But that's not what we're going to highlight. Uh, we're going to today uh, look at one man. We're going to preach a biographical sermon today and preach on one man, a layman, not an ordained pastor, not an apostle. Uh, the guy wasn't even a disciple of the Lord. But we're going to preach on one man who you can never blame for not doing what he should have done to keep the church alive. And I'm, I'm preaching on the subject today uh, Wherever he leads, I'll go. And I'm going to give you this, young, this man's name and tell you a little about him, and I'm going to give you some principles that a person whose attitude is, is wherever he leads, I'll go. I'm going to tell you what that person is like, what happens to that person whose attitude and dedication and commitment to the Lord is wherever he leads, I'll go. And this was a man with a mission attitude. So let's begin. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And by the way, I need to do more introduction. After Acts 2, that miraculous chapter, we come into the third chapter of Acts and we get on into Acts 6 and 7 and all and we see some of the problems that came about in the church. Now, I know Baptist churches never have any problems. No, all churches have problems. Every one of them have problems. But I want to tell you something. Mountains or molehills do not become mountains. And issues do not become unsolvable. And problems do not become paramount when a church sticks to those seven activities that the early church did. They were able to worship and, and preach God's word and win souls and minister to one another and fellowship one another in spite of all the trouble that came their way. They had the problem of persecution, but what did they do with that? They just sang their way through it. They had a problem with a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? That's one of those kind of sermons when you wear, preach that, you better wear the football helmet. And God smote them right in front of everybody for their hypocrisy and their lying to the Holy Spirit. That was a problem. And then you had the problem of, of more persecution with a fellow by the name of Saul, who would, uh, who would later be called Paul, his Greek name in the uh, New Testament. And it was a sad thing. But in Acts chapter 6, they had an issue with ministry. With ministry. Let's read about it. And in those days, when the number 
of the disciples was multiplied. Why was it multiplied? Because of those seven things, one of them personal evangelism. There arose a murmuring of the Greek against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministry, ministration. Then the twelve, the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look among you for seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, the Holy, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed... Well, they're always praying, aren't they? When they prayed, they laid their hands on them. I believe, as many of you do, and it's a traditional belief, that this was the ordination, and they ordained these men. They became the first deacons. And the Word of God, because of these men, the Word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests. Even the priests were saved. It's wonderful when the preachers get saved. And they were obedient to the faith. So, and then it tells us about Stephen. It tells us about Stephen. And so we're introduced to these seven wonderful men, godly men full of the Holy Spirit, ready and willing to serve the Lord and help their church out. It was going through some tough things. These were godly laymen. I want to focus on one of them by the name of Philip. Now, this is not to be confused with the Philip who was an apostle or a disciple. We never hear of that Philip again after Pentecost. This Philip... It is the only Christian Philip that we hear of after Pentecost. And so he was a man in his church, just like you, who loved the Lord. He loved this church. He'd been saved. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And God put him in a position to be a help and an encouragement and a solution to the problem rather than part of the problem. And he had the attitude, I want to go where the Lord leads me. And because of that attitude, these characteristics that I want to talk to you about are his. And I pray they'll be yours, men and women. Number one, faithful. Faithful. The text I just read. His church had an issue in the area of ministry, one of those seven things. The ministry aspect of the ministry of the church was having a, a, a problem. It was a legitimate problem. It really was. But some of the people handled it in a lousy way. What did they do? They started murmuring murmuring, griping, and complaining. Oh, how I wish they had gone to the Lord first and prayed. Oh, how I wish is maybe they had pulled Peter or John or somebody aside and said, hey, we want to make you aware there's an issue that some people um, feel like they're being, being neglected, and, and they probably were. People fall through the cracks. But they didn't do that. They started griping. Forgive me. They started murmuring, belly aching. Amen. I can think of a whole, I got the thesaurus down. And you know what it is. They started murmuring and complaining. You know what I've learned when I get into a complaining mode? And believe it or not, I do. Sometimes when I get into a complaining mode and murmuring mode, you know what I do? I realize real quick, 
You cannot have a praying tongue and a griping tongue at the same time. Amen? You can't. Well, anyway, thank God that, that it, it was brought to the attention of the apostles and, 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 and the people, it didn't become a continuous thing and the people really had a, they really just had some, needed to, they needed to get some, uh, some their, their bearings again about the church and how it works and how there's a lot of people and, and, uh, and so they, they quit complaining when the apostles said, just do this. Get, get together in the people. Choose seven men with these requirements, these, these uh, qualities about them. Honest men, good men. Uh, why did they say honest men? Because they just had to deal with Ananias and Sapphira. See? And so that was on, that was on their minds. And then they said, we need to do all that and we need to get busy and that kind of stuff. And so... Um, they filled with the Holy Spirit and they chose those seven men and one of them was Philip. One of them was Philip. And they prayed. And God said, these are the men. And they laid hands on them. Now, this ministry of people like Philip enabled the apostles to stay in the Word of God to, to preach the Word of God. That's another one of the seven things. They could not allow one of the seven to be stronger than the other. And it took the whole church and seven men in particular to take care of this aspect of the ministry. I won't tell you what, I can speak for Jay and Cole and I'll speak, I'm certainly speaking for me. I'm thankful for the people who take care of ministry in our church because we couldn't do it and be true to what God has gifted us and called us to do in this church. And so uh, they, they weren't going to sacrifice preaching the Word of God for ministry. They weren't going to do it. And then they looked out and found those men and they became the first deacon ministry. They did. And the Holy Spirit filled men and God blessed and people were saved and lives were changed and the church grew and it was wonderful. And Philip, our subject, was among these seven. But I want you to notice something. He was faithful before this crisis. He was faithful before he was led by the Lord to engage in this ministry to the widows. He was faithful. And he was faithful in it and faithful through it. And it's a wonderful thing. I could just imagine this, this man named Philip serving tables, taking care of these widows who needed help. See, uh, widows were in a whole different situation than widows here in South Mississippi in 2023. And he was there ministering to them, faithful Philip. Probably would have been content if we never heard from him again. But you know what happened? We hear from him. You know, 1 Timothy 3 says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, that application is in particular to deacons, but it's true. It's a principle that's true for everybody. You do the very first things God leads you to do, ever how humbling it may be. And I want to tell you something. You'll gain boldness in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in college, I, 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 didn't, I started pastoring when I was a sophomore. But when I was a freshman, I walked into the religion department over at East Texas Baptist University and walked in the religion department, and they had places to sign up to preach. And uh, nursing homes, uh, the projects, and, and uh, other places to preach. Well, I signed up for all of them. I didn't think a thing. I knew God called me to preach, and, and uh, I had a wise old pastor tell me, uh, son, it's just like uh, that movie when John Wayne throws that boy in the creek and says, you got to learn to swim. Here you go. He says, you just get out there and do it. That's how you learn to preach. You get out there and do it. And so I just said, I, and I started preaching in nursing homes, and I started preaching in the projects, and I joined a local church and went to the pastor and said, look, I'm, I'm ready to... 
I'm ready to preach. I want to learn to preach. I want to learn from you. And he said, all right. He said, you start children's church next week. Oh, and uh, I, I did. And, and uh, you know, I, I go preach everywhere. Well, God, God gave me something, and I did. And I still go and preach in nursing home. I'm going to preach anywhere. If I, look, the only way I say no to a preaching opportunity is if it is providentially an issue for me to go. If God providentially hindered me I, I, and I can't do it, I won't do it. But if I get an opportunity to preach, I'm going to haul off and preach. Amen? It's what God called me to do. Yeah. Amen. That's how it ought to be. And then God gave me, a, gave me an opportunity to go to be a pastor. It was a sophomore in college. Can you imagine your pastor being a sophomore in college? I wouldn't go to that church. <laughs> well, and, and God gave me a church. And I've been pastor ever since. I've got my degrees while, while a, a pastor. And, but God gave him something. He, he, he said, you're faithful. You've proven yourself faithful. Folks, I want to tell you by putting down a name for a burden... You've proven yourself faithful. That's the first step. Second of all, uh, not only was he faithful, but he was fruitful. God gave him some, some great fruit in his life. And, and Stephen went to preaching, that deacon went to preaching, and people got saved, and the Jews got mad, and they stoned him. Remember that? And then the church had to scatter. And people left the church. They had to go. And, and I do not know all the dynamics, but God was in it. You know, God was in it. They didn't run like cowards. They, they were under the leadership of the Lord. And only the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And I imagine it was pretty rough. But can you imagine having to give up your home and everything that makes you comfortable and, and going away because uh, if you obey Christ, they're going to they're gonna persecute you? Well, that's what happened to Philip. And, and he went, of all places, to uh, Samaria. And Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 8 tells us what he started doing in Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 says, uh, there, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip, look at verse 5 of Acts chapter 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and said, Man, last time I presented the gospel, I got persecuted. I think I'm just going to sit on my couch, go warm a pew every Sunday and settle in and just be a Average church member. Isn't that what the text says? Well, some of you are following along, Jay. Others aren't. No, it says he preached Christ unto them. See, he was faithful to preach Christ. Circumstances didn't matter. The place didn't matter. He knew he was called to preach. And he knew he was called to share the gospel. Just like you and me are called to share the gospel. And so he, he proclaimed and shared where he was planted. There in Samaria. And I'm telling you, God began to bless. And uh, it was a new city, but it didn't change his commission. And God blessed. And look at, look at verse 8. Uh, I mean, great things started happening. Boy, people started getting saved. Demons were cast out. God, uh, they, he put a good lick on the devil there in Samaria. And uh, people were healed. And verse 8 says, there was great joy in that city. This layman went to Samaria, shared Jesus, and he ministered to people. And, and he got a church started. And they did those seven. And great joy filled the city. It was wonderful. He was fruitful in his life. And then something else happened. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And so he's having a wonderful time and it gets everybody's attention that, that uh, Peter uh, and John go to uh, Samaria to check it out. And so now, now he's got the, the apostles there, and I'm sure they're helping one another. But look at verse 26. And an angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is in a desert. Now, if you've ever heard this, this text preach, you know that the, the most preachers will say, well, I imagine old Philip looked up and said, good grief, God, I'm having so much success right here and God's blessing, and you want to put me in the middle of a desert. What's going on with you? Well, you've ever heard preachers say that? Well, I just said it, and I'm glad I did because I was going to say it anyway. He went, God put him in a desert. You don't know where God's going to lead you. 
You don't know where he's going to take you. It's going to be a remarkable thing where God takes you. And it may look dry and dead. He told him to go to a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You don't know where God's going to put you, but when you obey the Lord and you say, wherever he leads, I'll go, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be fruitful. And so notice, the person who goes where God leads them to go is faithful and is fruitful and he's also fast. F-A-S-T, he's fast. Old Philip walked out in that Philistine desert in Gaza. That's where the Philistines were. And um, he's out there and he arose and went. That's fast. He quickly went. Didn't argue. He arose and went. Just said, okay, God, I'm going. And he got out there in the desert. I don't know how long it took him, but that's where he went. And in as God's providence, he arranged that while Philip was standing there in the desert, he looked up and there was an Ethiopian caravan heading south, going back home to Ethiopia. And this was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was a servant of the Queen Candace. That was a title, the Queen of Ethiopia. He was the treasurer of the nation of Ethiopia, Secretary of the Treasury. And Philip saw him. He quickly got to the desert, and God quickly showed him his mission. And it was a remarkable thing. And the Lord said to him, Go and join yourself with this man's chariot. And Philip ran to the chariot. He made haste. He ran. Now you say, how did he outrun a chariot? Well, you got to remember, this was an entourage. Not everybody got to ride. Some people had to walk. And, and uh, I've heard some Greek scholars say that it was the word chariot can also mean uh, a pelican. One of those things, I think that's the name of it, they put on their shoulders and he was up high or it might have been a chariot itself, but it was going at a slow pace. But let me tell you this now. Listen. And this is something for who's your mission. Listen to me. It was going fast enough to get away if Philip didn't hurry up. You hear me? It was going fast enough to get away if Philip didn't hurry up. And so he quickly made a beeline to this man in this chariot. And it's incredible. And he seized the moment. He seized the moment. You got to seize the moment, folks. Who's your mission? Your church has given you a moment to seize. A moment to seize. You got to seize the moment, every chance you get to speak for Jesus. You never know when it's going to be the last. You know what? Yesterday, I preached the funeral of a 77 year old, wonderful Christian gentleman, a friend. One of the last conversations I had with Scotty Broom, you know what? He was in the hospital over there in, in Oshner's, and he was, uh, I thought that, you know, he wouldn't be able to communicate, but I called his son, and his son said, Dad, it's the pastor on the phone. And I heard Scotty say, let me talk to him. And he put me on speaker right at Scotty's, uh, ear and mouth and Scott, you know what I said Scotty I love you and there's a lot of people praying for you and, and you know God bless you we're holding down the home front with Miss Cindy and you know what Scotty said he said I do not believe you're from Texas I think you're from Oklahoma <laughs> that's what he said and I said Scotty you hadn't lost your sense of humor. And he laughed, and we fellowshiped a little bit. But Tuesday, I'm going to bury a 42-year-old man. Tuesday. A family, I was their pastor. I was his childhood pastor. And they wanted me to come bury him, and I just couldn't say no. 
And so I got to go preach a funeral. Going to be a lot of lost boys there. Going to be a lot of lost young men there. And they're going to preach the gospel and give them opportunity to be saved. That's what the family, that's what mama requested. Now I won't tell you, I remember when that boy was saved. And I'm glad we seized the moment when he was saved. I'm glad somewhere down the line for Scotty Broom, someone seized the moment and he was saved. They're going fast enough to get away from you if you don't seize the moment. You got it? Amen? They're going. Well, in verse 30, we see something else about a man who says, wherever he goes, I'll follow. He's focused. He's focused. Verse 30. And Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And Philip, Philip, he just said, do you know what you're reading? Understand what you're reading? He said, how, how can I accept one explained to me? He's a lost man. He couldn't understand the scriptures. And he said, well, I'm going to guide you. And he gave the place where he read. It was about the cross, a prophecy of the cross. What a perfect open door. You know, that's what God's going to give you. And who's your mission? He's going to give you open doors. And the chariots of life, he's going to give you open doors. And he said, um, uh, well, let me just say this. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Well, what a wonderful text that is. He preached unto him Jesus. Now, he, he got focused. He got right to the point. When he noticed that God given him an open door, and he'll give you an open door. You pray for it. God will open doors for you. You seize the moment and stay focused on Jesus. Don't get distracted. That's what Jesus did at the, with the woman at the well. He didn't get off into where Jews worship and where Samaritans were. He got to salvation, dealt with sin and, the, and salvation. And that's what Philip did. And... Uh, it was a remarkable time, and how, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to you? Well, God's put me right here to explain it to you. And he preached unto him Jesus. He stayed focused. You got to take the opportunities. And he focused on the gospel, and he led this man to Christ, and he was saved. The man was saved, and I love it. They got to a pool of water in the desert, Brother Larry, a pool of water. Not a spigot, a pool. And they got to the pool, and the eunuch said, What does hinder me from being baptized? What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, Well, you got to go through a six-week course. <laughs> we got to make sure you're going to be a tither. Now, what Philip said, Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. I believe. I believe the gospel. I've been saved. Well, let's get down in here and baptize you. And they baptized him in front of his whole entourage. See, baptism, right there, we learn a whole awful lot. Number one, baptism is the first thing to do after you're saved. You need to be baptized if you hadn't followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Second of all, baptism is by immersion. Everywhere they baptized somebody, there was a whole lot of water. Baptism is by immersion. It pictures death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's how Jesus was baptized. When he come up out of the water, here there's much water. I like deep baptistries. And so they baptized him. And it's what you do after you're saved. It's by immersion. And it's public. It was a public baptism. He got baptized in front of everybody. That's why we baptize when the church gathers. I hope and pray that when missions start getting saved, we can have a baptism on Wednesday night. I hope every now and then we might say, hey, it's Monday night. We're going to baptize. Y'all come. Amen. Wouldn't that be something? You say, well, preacher, it has to be Sunday. How do you know this was Sunday? Huh? Amen. You don't know this was Sunday. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Well, so he was focused, got the job done. And then another thing, a person who goes where God leads is faithful, fruitful, fast, focused, and he's formed. 
Look what happened to, to Philip all of a sudden. Verse 40, but Philip was found, uh, well, let me back up, verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Can you imagine that scene? What a remarkable thing that must have been. Where did he go? I don't know where he went. Let's get back to Ethiopia. And, and by the way, the eunuch went back to Ethiopia, started sharing Christ, and the Christian, the history of Christianity, not necessarily churches, but the history of Christianity can be traced back to this eunuch. And he got there, the Ethiopia, and people started getting saved because he, he got missions too. And um, he went on and, uh, and he went on his way rejoicing. He just had a good time. But Philip was found at Azotus. That's Ashdod, the, the ancient Ashdod, Brother Larry. That's Ashdod, the Philistine city. And passing through, so he just wound up in Ashdod. Can you just imagine Philip's in a pool south of Gaza one day, and the next day, uh, the next moment, he's in Ashdod. Well, what does he do? He just says, well, I'm so confused. I don't know what I'm going to No, he did what he was faithful to do. He just started sharing Jesus. Once a new city, but not a new commission, once again. He just started sharing Jesus, and he preached through all those cities. And finally, he came to Caesarea, and we don't hear from him again for 15 years. We don't hear from Philip again for 15 years, and that shows us that he didn't quit. He didn't stop. He got hooked on sharing Jesus, and he loved it. And let me share something with you folks. You win one person to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you're hooked for life. You get around that, and you, you, you are instrumental in being used by God to, to see someone pray to receive Christ and get in the baptistry and carry on. You get hooked. That's all you'll want to do. You'll become a fanatic about it. I'm really, you'll just be fired up about it. You, you won't be able to contain yourself. Uh, you, you'll say, I want more of that. It, it's like uh, sugar. I mean, it's it just more and more, but it doesn't crash. Well, eight, 15 years later, old Paul has his ministry. When Philip got started, Paul was still lost. Paul, Paul was still persecuting the church. Paul's persecution is one reason Phil, uh, Philip got started. In evangelism, personal evangelism. Fifteen years later, Philip's still at Caesarea. You know why he's at Caesarea? God hadn't moved him. No providence had moved him. But we see that he is formed. Look at verse uh, 8, chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 21 and verse 8. It says... And Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he's going to be arrested in Jerusalem. So this is toward the end of Paul's ministry. And the Bible says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and abode with him. And the last, that's the last we ever hear of this man, but his reputation and his character and his giftedness, and his desire, and his burden had become so identified that he is called the good news sharer, the one who shares the good news of Christ, the evangelist. Now, it could have been in the office of an evangelist. It could have been that, and that means God called him to a deaconship and from a deaconship to the evangelist, or it could mean he was just one who was known for sharing Jesus. And Paul went into his house. And you know what he did? He did one of those seven things. He ministered to Paul. See how it just kept going? It just kept going. Well, God formed his life into being one who is known for sharing the gospel. Boy, that's what I want. That's what I want to be. Just known for sharing the gospel of Christ. I've preached too long, but let me give you three observations before you start getting ready to go. Three observations. Number one, we learn from Philip. If you commit to go where God leads, he will providentially advance you where he wants you to be. Philip didn't think he'd wind up in Samaria. He certainly didn't think he'd wind up in Ashdod. 
And I imagine he just finally settled in Caesarea and said, well, I guess this is it. But if you commit yourself, I'll be faithful to what God gives me to do right now. Serving tables, that's what Philip did. Taking care of these widows, God will providentially lead you where he wants you to go and to do what he wants you to do. Second of all, God will always go before you. Always he will go before you. I've never led anybody to Christ where the Holy Spirit wasn't there first. Let me give you, let me give you some Bible for that. When Philip left Jerusalem, where did he go? Anybody remember? Samaria. He went to Samaria. He stood up in Samaria and started sharing the gospel. I guess he went to the Rotary Club, maybe the barber shop or something, football game, started sharing Jesus. All right? People started getting saved. Lives started changing. People got happy in the Lord. But you know what? Long before Philip ever went to Samaria to preach the gospel, there was a man named Jesus who went to Samaria and won a lady at a well to Jesus. And that lady went into town and got the menfolk to come out and see Jesus. And they looked at her and they said, we believe he's the Messiah not because of you, but because of him. And men got saved. And then I don't know what happened, but God said we got to get some more gospel in there. The groundwork had already been laid by Jesus and had already been laid by a sweet lady saved at a well. You never go in cold turkey. At least and at most, let me say, the Holy Spirit has gone before you. Amen? And he'll go before you. And folks, it's been my experience, if you're worried about messing up, let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit is convicting that wall to be saved, you can fumble and bumble and mutter and smutter all you want to with the gospel, but that wall is going to know they need to be saved. Amen? You cannot discount the work of the Holy Spirit. He goes before you. Amen? 100% of the time. Third thing, you will grow and be formed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do with Who's Your Mission in 2023. Wherever he leads, I'll go. When we sing that grand old hymn, let me ask you this, and then we'll close. When we sing, wherever he leads, I'll go, are you telling the truth? Are you being honest? Let's stand for our hymn of invitation. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. Just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.